Thank you for joining us for the Lessons from First Naz podcast. This morning, you'll notice that the platform is set up a little bit differently than it usually is, and uh, that is for a reason. A couple years ago, uh, Pastor Aaron and I were invited by our good friend Jay Durding to attend one of his math classes that he teaches at Genesee High School. Aaron and I told him we didn't like going to math class when we had to, so why on earth would we waste a perfectly good day driving up the hill to Genesee to sit in a math class where he holds absolutely no power over us in terms of grades? But Jay looked really sad when we said that, and so uh, we just uh, threw him a bone and made our way up the hill, and, and uh, we, we became the students that we always kind of envied, didn't we, Aaron? We went to the back row, and we sat there, and we, we disrupted class and did all those things that we threatened. That's what he always did? Oh, well, you were corrupting the uh, character of a, of a better student, I guess, that day. At any rate, we went up there, and what, what, what happened that day was unlike any math class I have ever experienced in my life. Because what Jay did that day is he taught the, uh, the students there about probability and about chance. And those were things that my math teachers had covered, but never in the way that Jay did. And, and he worked with his students and he, he showed them mathematical realities that walked them right up to the place where he could ask them a question. Do you think there's any way that all of this could be by chance alone? And he just left them there. Comfortably so, he tells me. He left them right there at the place where they were, they were begging for an answer, but he trusted God's Holy Spirit to reveal something to them that would later on bring them to the place where they might ask some questions about a guy and his relationship with the one who ordered this universe. This is the best math class I've ever been to in my life. I'd have gone to, to math a lot more enthusiastically in the past if I'd had teachers like Jay. Well, we've had a number of conversations on these and related topics since. And uh, it doesn't happen very often in the life of a pastor that somebody says, you know, you know, pastor, I'd really love to preach. Nobody ever says that. But Jay said, I've got a message that's kind of burning a hole in my heart. And I, I was wondering if if you and I could talk to the congregation about it. So we've, we've had this conversation now uh, off and on for months and, and a couple of times over the last couple of weeks. And so um, I've invited Jay to come and join me today. And we're going to sit here and talk to one another and you all about something completely different than we heard in class that day, but something that is burning a hole in the heart of a man I know who knows the Lord. Would you welcome Jay Durding to the platform, please? Yes. I wonder what the anxiety level in this church has just done that a math teacher is up in front. (laughs) Well, they're used to boring people being up front. Yeah, not nerds. All right. (laughs) Well, um, let me find what we're working on here, Jay. Um, You're you're a math and technology guy, but uh, you came here to talk to us this morning about something other than the numbers and things that can be measured. You, the, the conversation we had on this topic really started out as a philosophical conversation. If I understand you correctly, you don't think that the world around us has a technology problem. You think it has a philosophical problem. Can you talk to us about that? Look at the screen. There is a man that has caused me probably more headaches than anybody in all my life. 
His name is Rene Descartes. And in the 1620s, he made one statement. And that statement was, I think, therefore I am. And that started the whole process of him trying to prove that there was a God through reason. And you got rid of, it was based on reason and knowledge, and there was nothing to do with religious belief and emotional response. Those two things were totally out. But he came up with this philosophy that is going to look that way. Now, in the field of mathematics, for those of you to put this in perspective, because I have to throw some math in there, is any time you graphed a point on the XY coordinate system, he's the one that was responsible for that. But he said, I'm going to prove that there is a God through rational belief. And I think that since that time, we've gone down the road. And even though we took it to a different conclusion than what Descartes wanted, so I don't, I don't want to make him out to be the victim. He's not the guy. He was trying to do something that, be honest, I've tried to do most of my life, was I'm going to prove that there is a God. We took that. And we've made it into something that says what you know and what you do is more important than who you are. And we're at a spot now in, I think, in our society that we're looking at what you know is so important and what you do is so important that the individual gifts that God has given you no longer matter. And we're going to treat everybody the same exact way. And we're going to make, in the field of education, cookie-cutter students. Everybody gets the same lesson, in the same way, and the same test. And I think that is rolling over and has rolled over into our church. So th this business of um, what I would refer to as the dehumanization of the, the race. We're, we're reducing um, people to the place that we no longer have uh, individualism, that we no longer recognize um, the varying gifts and abilities that we've been talking about in our study of 1 Corinthians, really get, help a person find their place in the community of believers. It's, it's those gifts of the Holy Spirit, not merely productivity, right? Not merely knowledge, that helps people find their place and where they fit in the larger body of Christ. And so... Um, I'm not going to make uh, Descartes the villain either, but I'm going to say this thought that has worked its way into rationalism that now kind of uh, oversees, governs all of, um, is, is the accepted um, lens through which Americans view the world, that would all seem to fly directly in the face of what we've talk been talking about in 1 Corinthians. From that letter, we learned about, uh, about how God has a plan and a design and how it takes many, many intricate detailed pieces that are designed by God himself that extends beyond genetics and beyond conditioning to him granting us supernatural abilities for doing his work in this world, and that those abilities are determined for each person, each individual, by God himself. So I'm going to say that Descartes and the Apostle Paul evidently didn't see the world the same way. And that's what, I guess that's the thing that's most important to me, one of the big points is to get, is the fact that those individual gifts that God gives you makes you who you are, not what you know, and not what you do. So yes, they're opposites, but I'm not going to make the statement that it was Descartes said, that's the conclusion I want humanity to draw, 
but I think that's what we're drawing. So just to be clear, a math teacher is sitting next to me today saying that what I know is not the most important thing. And that's really difficult for me. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Jay, you've been, you've been teaching in public school classrooms for 29 years now, right? 29, 29 long, long years. years. Yeah. How, tell us about how the teaching and learning encounter has changed from the time that you started in the classroom to where you are today. When I first started teaching, you would walk into a classroom, they gave you a book, and said, go. And it was you, the students, and as long as you were far enough ahead of them in knowledge, you were the expert, and nobody questioned anything. And all you did was go through the curriculum, and when they were done, they had this bank of knowledge that they walked out with. You were the expert. This year, the last few years, my classroom changed. And when, when you start down this road, in this group, I know there's everybody from the conspiracy theorist who anything above a fountain pen is bad, ne- t- bad technology versus a person who is downloading everything that I'm going to talk about today and trying to figure out how to use it before they get out of here. I am more at the end of geekdom, but I'm not totally there. So just keep that balance in mind and know that I, I refuse to be a conspiracy theorist till I'm 85 years old. Then I'm going to change because that's going to be fun. Yeah. But until then, just keep that balance in mind of what we're talking about. So I went from I would see a principal once a year in my classroom to this year over video networking. I have video networking equipment in my classroom. So I teach calculus to my kids who are in front of me and to three other schools at the same time. And it's just a big high-tech Skyping thing that goes back and forth. So I have 15 kids in my calculus class instead of four or five. Had a legislature called legislator from the state of Idaho call me, and we had a discussion over that about all of the different policies that are coming through, asking me my opinion of what we should do and how we should do it. So you have that conversation now. I have the calculus class every day. I have some guy... I don't know who it is that when my equipment goes down, I dial a number. He says, is this Jay? Yes. What's going on? I tell him. He goes, let go. I hang up, and all of a sudden my cameras start moving. Things turn off and on. I don't know who he is. I don't know where he lives. I don't know what he does. And all of a sudden, it works. He doesn't even call me back and say, does it work? He knows it does. And I, that, that disturbs me, because any time on the phone it says, you know, my name is Bob, and your computer is broke, I hang up. But this guy fixes it. Um, I had a student this year who had some medical conditions, could not attend school for four weeks. So through some connections I have with another company, he attended my class and every class that he had at school this year for four weeks by driving a robot around the class and attending. And when he had a question, lights would flash on and off, and we could talk with him. So he was at home. He was at home driving it around. You around could the see him on the screen, Genesee. and he could see everything I did. And he okay. would talk to people, and he was driving. So I started saying, you know, you no longer have an excuse. I can't go to school because I'm sick, and I want 
kids calling in saying, I need robot number five. Yes, hands yeah. of all the students who want robots to go to school for them instead. Yeah, okay. Trust me, it's easier because I still have the power button and can shut you up. So. We are not going to do robot church, just so you know. <laughs> we're not going to do it. Oh, wait a minute. We're streaming live today. Never yeah, mind. We're doing robot. Hi. Never mind. Uh, yeah. uh, I attended class for my 3D printer which I know nothing about, but is really cool toy at this point in time. But I have one in my classroom, and I attended a class about it. And the person who invited me was in New York City, and I was taking it from a college professor in Florida, and there was somebody in Japan who was attending the class with me. It's, it's crazy. And none of these things people were physically in my classroom for. So the world, the biggest, the biggest change that I see is the amount of knowledge and the availability and the access is overwhelming. I am no longer the expert. I can't say anything in my class. Every kid up at our school has their own laptop now. I cannot say anything in my class that isn't going to be fact-checked by 24 kids. Hands go up all over the place. Well, on such and such a site, it says this. Sometimes it's the Internet, people, so you can always say it's wrong if you don't agree. But that access to everything that is there is so fast and so instant and so amazingly incredible. And the connections that I can make, I can't describe to you how I can call somebody from my equipment, I get a list of phone numbers in Israel of rabbis if I want to call them. (laughs) So kids can challenge everything. They no longer, I'm no longer the expert. I got to teach them how to think and how to decipher through things instead of just, here's what you need to know. Jay, um, talk to us a little bit about... um about some some for instances that the kind of of change in technology that is um, no longer science fiction but but right in front of us available if folks want to click and buy it today and um, and 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 help us understand what are we supposed to do what's what's the Christian response to all of this are we supposed to embrace it are we supposed to abstain from it are we supposed to just ignore it all. Um, help us out a little bit there. I'm going to show you four examples of things that are available right now that most of us don't didn't even know existed. And some of you, this will give you the best term I can come up with is the heebie-jeebies. Okay? It, it makes you nervous. What I want you to think about is with all technology, I want two words going through your head, the promise and the peril. With all technology, when you look at it, when we talk about it, just think of the promise and the peril. The first one up there, look at that. You now can go on there for $199, go to that website and buy a onesie for a baby that you put on that will text, that will let you monitor from your iPhone its temperature, breathing rate, and heart rate. Don't need babysitters anymore. You just... There's the promise, and there's the peril. Another item you can buy for a baby that I didn't picture was the iPotty. 
You want one that just gives me the heebie-jeebies? That one's it. Your kid going to the bathroom with an iPod attached to it. I No, can't go there. So we have things like that that are available. And you can think of where that's going to expand to. We talked about, you saw in that video, wearable technology. That's a huge, huge industry that's coming that we don't even know where it's going to go. What else have you got? Next one is... Your refrigerator. LG now has a refrigerator out that you can buy, and you can scan your food as it goes in, and when you drive by Walmart, it will give you your grocery list of what you're missing and what recipe that you have in your refrigerator that you can use tonight. Next one. Next one is... I I think you just sold like a dozen of those. I should have bought stock before I started. Yeah. Okay. You're welcome, LG. Yeah, you're welcome. Okay, next one. If you saw the price, you won't be buying any. Um, next one is the Q sensor. It's a device that you wear, and it measures your level of engagement. And right now, Bill Gates is putting a big push on these to try to get them into schools that we find out what teachers are the most engaging on what topics to what students. They get recorded and pushed out to every student. When you watch advertisements on TV, advertising companies are using these, that they put them on people, see if the advertisement's engaging enough that you'll pay attention to it on TV. Again, the promise of peril of where this could go. Talk to us about how it could be used for good, how it could be used for not so good. I think the good in it would be you know what you're getting. You know the product that you're putting out a good product. I heard one guy speaking one time that he said because of devices like this that he thinks within the next 10 years that most schools will no longer have teachers. Only the rich schools will have teachers. Everybody else, the kids will be watching monitors. Hmm. I don't think that's the direction. I'm, I'm going to be retired by then. Would it, could, could you I tell us, no. um, you told me the other day who the guy was who told you that. I think it... Um, he was, I was at a conference, and he was the um, Minister of Education in Canada. So it wasn't some random guy just throwing some information out. Mm-hmm. Next one I want to talk to you about is probably the one everybody hears, social media, Facebook, and all that stuff. You guys are so old-fashioned. Facebook is dead except for old people and those of us with kids that that's all we'll allow them to have. So... As I talk about this one, every parent's going to come up to the kid and say, give me your phone right now, because they don't want you downloading this one, but it's coming. They already have it. They probably have it hidden on their phone. You don't know it. It's called Social Radar, and I download my Facebook, my Twitter information, and we have people saying, what is Twitter? Okay, talk to somebody else. But you download all of your personal information that you want in that app. And as you walk by with that app on, if somebody else has that same app on, it sends you a message, and you look at it. It shows you a picture of the person that you're standing in the vicinity of and gives you a list of questions of what you have in common and can have a conversation about. I love it when I scare these guys. (laughs) Does does it come with pickup lines? You walk into a bar? Okay. I don't understand. Two people with an app walk into a bar. No. But I'm just thinking of, think of the promise and the peril of, you know, registered sex offenders. You have the list on the Internet you can go to now and all that. 
think of if they have a device on them that alerts you that they're standing around you. There's good with that, and there's not good with that. It's that promise and the peril of all technology. Those are just some examples. So where, where is it all taking us? Where, where's, where's this thing headed? I mean, we've, um, if we can't sort out uh, the, the, the promise from, from the peril, then what? I mean, it's all interesting, what you've talked to us about today, but, but what does it mean, and why ultimately should any of us care about the thing we're talking about today? And that's where my mind has been working a lot lately, and I've been talking with you about, is taking what I do in education, because it's, it's my job to prepare those kids for the job they don't even know exists, with the knowledge that isn't even created yet, and, and that's an overwhelming thing for me to work through. But how that relates to church, and how... We've got to change the way that we look at things and label it, this is good, this is bad. I'm comfortable, not comfortable, because we're putting ourselves in the position to be the judge. And I think we've got to go back to that promise and look at technology as what promise does this have that it allow me to learn and connect with people that I've never been able to know about before or topics that I've never been able to get help with before, but there's also that peril in, and I think the, the biggest peril of technology is that we get to edit our lives. We get to do everything that we do, everything that we post, everything that we use. I get to run through a filter before I interact with you. You only see whether it's nice or the meanest thing that you've ever said, I know what it's got to be before I push send, before I hit the post button. And it allows us to, that peril is it allows us to disconnect from society so that we don't have to deal with the mess of humanity. One of the sensors that you were talking uh, about earlier, you told me the other day, um, they've... they've, uh, They've tested people when they're interacting face-to-face like you and I are or when they're miles away and communicating by text and the brain lights up exactly the same whether I'm, whether I'm texting or whether I'm sitting on a stool next to my friend and having a conversation. Your brain lights up in the same area. Okay. But I'm not going to take the step to say it has the same result. Okay. I think it has a total different result. Because you don't get all the body language, all how things are said. So that connection is no longer made between people. Okay. You referenced uh, the mess of humanity. One of, your, one of your favorite philosophers. Who are we talking about? Pascal. Blaise Pascal. Talk, talk to us about the, the mess of humanity and how what we've been talking about this morning can address it. You had Rene Descartes, who... That's a pathway I would say that I went down for years and years of, I'm going to prove that there is a God. At the same time that Rene Descartes was doing his philosophy, Pascal, and he was another mathematician guy who did a whole lot of stuff that I can show you if you ever want to see it, gave me headaches in classes too. 
that he came up with a total different philosophy, and I have been probably walking down that pathway, um, some forced upon me by the lifestyle that Angie and I have choose to lead of dealing with people and bringing in kids that knowledge wasn't enough. And his statement was, get away with trying to prove, get away from trying to prove that there's a God. You cannot prove to me that there is a God. But you can accept it on faith that there is a God. And once you accept that on faith that there is a God and believe that in your heart, that you're going to hold on to that no matter what, that God through mathematics, nature, and science is going to reveal himself to you and show you an amazing God that is a creator and wants to know who you are. Here's where I'm going to invite you to preach, okay? A handful of ideas. First of all, I want you to talk to us about what it means to be truly alive, not virtually alive. Uh, I want you to talk to us about... um, about what Christianity has to offer to the mess of humanity. Talk about those two things. Pascal said man is corrupt. And I think once we accept that, so the two premises that, and I'm still reading through a lot of Pascal's work. It takes forever. The Christian scriptures, by the way, share the same perspective. There's there's two perspectives on humanity in this world, a possible third, but, but let's work with those three. One, that man is inherently good. That when, when human beings are born, everything's okay. Their heart, their mind, everything's perfect. But they just get sullied and um, polluted by this world. There's a minority camp that says human beings are neutral. They're neither good nor bad. But the Judeo-Christian worldview that, that comes from the Old and New Testaments of the Bible paints a very different picture. It's that human beings were born with a problem, a sin problem in their hearts. So Descartes, mathematician, philosopher... I know where his roots came from, from the, from the scriptures. Pascal. Sorry, Pascal. Pascal. Well, Descartes yeah. as well. Descartes, Descartes was trying to prove, trying the, to prove the same thing, just yeah. in a different right. method, and we've messed that up. But once you accept the fact that two things, man is corrupt, and that there is a God, once you accept that fact that man is corrupt, you no longer have yourself sitting above people as judge. Because if it's important of what you know and what you do, then you can look at somebody and say, I know I'm better than you because I know more and I do more. Mm. But Pascal says, you're just as corrupt. Humility says, I've got the same problem. And it allows you to look at people and say, we're the same. And it allows you to walk through the stink of humanity and come out smelling and still be okay. Because he said there's two things, and, and then I've read another book, and another book that I've read that has helped me get a hold of this immensely is a book called Anatomy of the Soul by a man named Kurt Thompson. And he talks about you need two things. You need to connect with people. You are born corrupt. You are born in a way that is separated from God. But God wants to know you. And the whole thing that he preaches is we have gone down the road of I need to know about God. I have studied 
We have studied. We know this Bible now more than any generation ever knows if you want to. We have more knowledge, and yet there's still that empty spot. So we know God, but his whole aspect is to be known by God. And he makes a statement in his book. It says, we often see life in Jesus as being more about survival in this life until we die and go to heaven than we do about grace, adventure, and genuine, concrete, life-giving change. And last Sunday, Pastor preached about the resurrection and how that is the cornerstone, and that is, and that hope that there's something after this life. But there's also that side of that adventure and what it takes to get that abundant life that Jesus talks about and just get beyond survival. And that's what I've been working in my life to try to discover and try to find. And that's where I see the church having to get a different way of approaching people to say, we have a hope that nobody else has. So we were working from, we've been studying 1 Corinthians together for the, all summer long. And a few weeks ago, we got to 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. They say, we know that we all possess knowledge. That was one of those, um, one of those Corinthian catchphrases. We all possess knowledge. It meant that uh, no, no one idea was better than any other. We know, Paul says, that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know, but whoever loves God is known by God. Paul was a smart guy, memorized much of the, of the Old Testament scriptures, could just speak them, um, quote them. First five books of the Bible were required of boys his age, memorized not the names of the books, the entire content of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Okay, Paul was a guy who had a lot of knowledge, but he said, all the knowledge ever did for me was make me think I was better than other people. Instead, he starts, he starts preaching the gospel of love that says, connect with people. Connect with people. Uh, being known, Paul, I think, would argue, uh, being known by God and, and, and knowing him as a person instead of as a list of ideas, uh, requires being involved in a, in a community. And that's where, that's where the big change and the big, I think, where we need to flip the whole concept of church is I think I've proven today by you watching that video that if you're knowledge-based, you're in trouble because you can't keep up. Right. And we have to go out there with the message of we'll use whatever knowledge we can, but it's, we're going to use it however, any way that we can. We're not going to fear it. We're not going to run from it. We're not going to hide from it. We're going to use it, and we're going to use it to bring people into community. Because in the book, Anatomy of the Soul, the one that's up there, Another thing that he says, we can experience God's mercy and justice in context of community. This is accomplished through giving and receiving love, which we experience most powerfully in the process of being known. 
And that concept, the process of being known, is one that I'm still working on. Frankly, I stink at being known. Just ask my wife. I like to have thoughts. I like to have discussions about those thoughts, but on this level. But that ability to say, I'm in the stink of humanity just like the rest of you. It's easy to say that, but then to take that, take that next step and to say, and here's what I need help with. Mm. And to be open to each other to say, pray for me with this. And I would say that's a message that's going to reach more people for the life-changing that Christ wants to do. James put it this way, confess your faults to one another and you'll be healed. What's the implication? Don't confess your faults. You're not going to experience the healing of your soul. The, uh, the book that you referenced um, also says to be known is to allow your shame and guilt to be exposed in order for them to be healed. Um, everybody who wants all your, um, your, your shame and guilt to be exposed today, please raise your hands. We'll let you come up here and confess all the rottenness. Not a popular concept, apparently, Jay. So... And that's why we're comfortable here, because uh. I don't want to either. Uh. But if church is just a bunch of people who agree to be comfortable and put up a facade about, I got it all together, where's the healing going to come from? And... Where are the people out there going to say, why are you any different from me? Okay, so we're, we're, we're heading down this certain track that says one of the reasons that we meet together here, one of the reasons that we offer Bible studies and small groups and those kinds of things is because sooner or later, human beings, if you want to be well, if you want to be whole, you've got to come out of hiding. We have to come out of hiding and become genuine friends with one another, building trust to the place that I will disclose the inner realities of my heart. So does it all take place in community? And that's the other thing about um, the promise and the peril is there's two parts to this. There's that community part. Stop editing your life. Be real with one another. Instead of, I think we're at the spot in this society, instead of Descartes saying, I think, therefore I am, he would say, I share, therefore I am. Hmm. That social media, that's who everybody sees. Facebook, we only, we edit everything. So that first part is stop editing with the community. Find some people to be real with. And that I am not saying go share every, we need to share more on Facebook. Trust me, some of you share way more than I really, really, really want to know. Some are not editing enough. Some of you, we need to talk about how to edit Facebook (laughs) stuff. So I'm not talking in that context. I'm talking in this context, face-to-face, heart-to-heart. Real relationship. Real relationship. That second part of it is We are afraid to be alone. I want you to think, when was the last time you were totally unplugged and you had a thought that you didn't think, I got to share it with someone? Hmm. We've got to be able to, because being alone with God is when God can grow your brain and grow your 
you and your soul in the way that he wants to. But we are so afraid to be alone that we always have radio, TV, cell phone, something going that I can suddenly text somebody or see somebody I don't even know on TV about a product that I really don't know why I want it, but now I do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We need to totally unplug and get alone with God. So you're building the case that, that knowing God and being known by God requires both involvement in a faith community, a church, a small group, but also some time just you and God. I would say, yeah, to be just you. Don't be afraid to be alone. Which kind of works with this whole Christian notion of aloneness, right? Because we don't think we ever are. I can't even be alone in my house in the bathroom. Uh, that's because you're Jay Dirting and oh. you've adopted half of the world. Okay? <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Laura and I, I, got, I told Jay and Angie this today. Laura and I watched a television show last night where some, some folks about our age um, found out that the, the wife was pregnant. And Laura and I both shuddered at the thought. And she said, what would we do? I said, just take it to the Dirting's house. <laughs> Problem solved. Your, your ability, inability to be alone, I don't, I don't know how to address I, that, man. That's why I still work in Genesee, because I got a 20-minute drive. Minute yeah. <laughs> but just before ascending into heaven, uh, Jesus gave his followers a mission. And that mission, then, I think is the mission for the church in the world and every single church within it. And that mission is this, make more disciples for Jesus. He was pretty plain about that. And a disciple is, uh, it can, can be many things, but I think that it, it, it involves at least these three things. It's connecting with God and other people, growing intentionally in our faith, and serving joyfully as a way of experiencing that full life that, that Jesus promised us. And that's why we've designed the, the scheduled life of this church around connecting, growing, and serving. It's because we think that's what a disciple really is and really does. And in the, the time that we have left today, Jay and I want to talk to you about some ideas for helping this church collectively and then each one of us uh, individually to connect with God. Uh, we connect with God and with the people of God in a number of ways. Uh, first and foremost, I would say, is through this worship service that we have every single Sunday morning. We connect with God and the people of God through our morning worship and teaching experience that has forever been just called a church service. Jay, why don't you talk to us a little bit about some technologies that we might be able to use within the worshiping community to help one another connect with God and and each other. Um, The biggest one is happening right now. I think we've suddenly gone to live streaming which I think we needed to do for quite some time to get it out there to people who can't come for whatever reason. And it's amazing how you randomly throw it out there and people from where you don't know are watching. So I think that's a great place to start. I think so shout we, out to the streaming audience, yes, right? very good. good. Hi, good. people. Yeah. Um, doesn't make you nervous. It still makes me nervous, but it's good. Um, The other thing I think we need to do is, and what I've started doing with my students at school, is give them the opportunity to interact. Because of where we're at with social media and all those things, we're not used to just sitting. 
We need a chance to interact. So I would say the next step would be to get some sort of thing. And I'm not saying people post questions up on the, and they suddenly appear up on the screen. We're not going there. I know people who do that. It's a bad idea because you don't know what's going to go up there. But to have somebody in church here somewhere receiving messages of questions that people have. Real-time question Real and time answer during the that, sermon. Boom. Here it is. And whether it comes from people in this church or people who are watching the streaming, that they have a chance to ask questions. Some can be answered by that person easily. Some of them could be directed to the pastor where the need to follow the last up. need a follow-up or even at a spot that we may get to the last five minutes of a sermon you say, filtered, Here's the person that you trust says, here's some questions that have come through. Okay. But allow interaction between this and you so it's not that, that deadness. This is the hardest thing for me to do is to look at you guys because you're all just looking back at me. And if you ever saw my classroom, it never stops moving. And there's no movement, there's no... So we could back put it, and forth. We we would have a little less of the one way transmission and a little more interaction between. You know, when you say, "Can and, I get you an amen?" Yeah. We can put little hearts up there to say, oh, "Amen." That'd be yeah. great. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So um, uh, I know nothing about how to make that happen. So you just became the guy with the idea. You became the guy with the responsibility. I'm, I'm just an idea guy. Oh, okay, I don't perfect. know how yeah. any of the stuff that I talk about works. I CJ just find it. to volunteer, and you just formed the committee. Okay. Um, other ways that you can connect with this worshiping body, uh, you know, we have a Facebook page that can kind of help you keep up to date on scheduled life. Um, uh, the firstnas.com website can connect you with uh, the church calendar, can connect you with um, podcast. About 650 people a month now listen to the First NAS podcast. So, yeah, that's good. So the, the, the people that are uh, here today and, and, and listening um, from time to time, they think it's worth telling their friends. And some other folks out there have subscribed and become regular listeners. So however many people there are that attend church here on any given Sunday, there's also 650 other people out there every month that are saying um, we're, we're connecting with the life of this church. And we'll see how the, how the streaming audience builds as well. Uh, but we said that, that connecting, in, in order to, be, to know God and to be known by him, we connect with God and the people of God through these community events. We connect with uh, the people of God by participating in connection groups. If you go out into the foyer at the end of the service today, my dear wife, Laura, will be out there at the uh, table for connection groups. This week and next Sunday are the last two sign-up dates for connection groups for the fall. And those groups are going to meet September October, November, and it's a chance for you to build some of those sacred friendships that we're talking about where you can quit hiding, talk about the real stuff in your life, be known by other Christ followers, and in the process, you become known by God as well. Laura can help you connect there. You can also connect with God through your own personal devotional time, and that's the, the kind of the balance that Jay was talking about between the, the community things and the unplug, just you and God. And uh, I think there's an argument that could be made for just shut everything off and close all the books at some point, just you and, and God talk. The, the, the guy, that the minister from Canada, he said how important it is to have, and his words were, an electronic Sabbath. Mm. Um, at our house, 
I threw that term out the other day, and I thought that my girls were going to fall on the, They did fall on the floor laughing. <laughs> Where'd you get that one, Dad? <laughs> and so, but it's that fact that if you tell your kids we're going to unplug, and they say okay, then you're probably okay to just do unplug. If they start getting worried lines and they start panicking, then you probably need to do it more. But it's that take that electronic Sabbath, totally unplug. Once a week even. At our house, the sacred time is dinner time. Have mercy upon the soul of anybody who touches a phone to text somebody when Angie says it's dinner time. Because that's the time that you're doing this, not this. So find that electronic Sabbath time. Okay. And um, we're, we're setting that in the context of unplugging from the community so that you can have a personal time with God. And, and Christians have taught for now centuries, I believe, that if you do this on a daily basis, you're going to see spiritual growth in your life. If you don't do it regularly, you're not going to grow spiritually. And I will forever be the guy who tells you that Christianity is the worst religion in the world to dabble in. It's not meant for dabblers. It's, it's wholly unfulfilling, deeply unsatisfying if you just dabble in it. But if you throw yourself into it, uh, become a person who daily engages with God in his word, you will find that this life becomes very rewarding. And so I'll offer a couple of electronic helps. We talk about them all the time. The YouVersion Bible app, uh, just search Bible in the app store and check this out. You, I don't know if you can read it, but that, that, that bottom gray bar says minutes read. And I, I just screenshot the, this this morning in my office. Um, since they launched the YouVersion Bible app, people have been reading the Bible for a total of 153,563,392,426 minutes. Help us understand the difference between a million a number and here. a billion. Difference, and you look at that number, it means nothing. Honestly and truly, to most people, that number means nothing except big. But to give you a, a concept of the size of numbers, if you're a million seconds old, you're 11 and a half days old. If you're a billion seconds old, you're 31 and a half years old. That's a lot of reading. That's a lot of reading. It's a lot of reading. Okay, Uversion Bible app, you can get it on your phone, you can get it on your tablet, you can, uh, you can find Uversion online. The First Naz Lewiston app is also a way for you to engage with God's Word daily in a devotional reading that is tailor-made to your current spiritual condition. I just took the assessment again yesterday because I've been using it for about six months and thought I've probably grown in the areas that I've been studying. So it, uh, it reanalyzed me yesterday, asked me and some questions. And if we attach that to social radar, when you walk around, it'll tell you what to ask somebody. Oh, I can find all the liars. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. All right, here's the reality, folks. We're out of time. Our world's changing. The scriptures teach us that God does not and will not. Huh. So what? God's increasingly irrelevant to the world around us? No. How can we help people connect with God when the world is changing at a million miles a minute and God remains unchanging? That remains the task of the local church to find a way, to keep trying to find a way to connect people with the God who made them. We have to keep learning new ways to communicate his love. We have to keep finding new ways to communicate his truth. We must remain faithful to God 
into his unchanging nature. And at the same time, we have to be creative like him so that we can find new ways to help people take that first step into relationship with him and all of the other subsequent steps that it takes for a person to connect with him for a lifetime. So we're out of time today. I'm sure Jay would stick around if you guys want to grab him in the, in the foyer and ask some questions. would remind you that if you want to be a part of the Bringing Up Boys group that will meet Wednesday nights in September, you get the books right up front here. You take one of those. You can pay us for them later. If you want to connect with other Christ followers in a way that helps you know God and be known by him, see Laura out in the foyer. Okay? Let's pray. Uh, it was a lot, Lord. And... Um, it was, a, it was kind of like trying to take a sip out of a fire hydrant. There's some things in it that offered me uh, hope and, and were refreshing, and then some things that felt like they just kind of ripped my lips off. <laughs> Lord, I pray in, in all of that that uh, your people would not go to the place of despair because the Christians are the hope people. And all these things that Jay's been talking to us about today, there's a great hope. And there's a great hope to be communicated, however it is that we try to do it, digitally or sitting right next to one another. But Lord, we're your church and we're glad to be. We have uh, wholeheartedly accepted your mission of going and making more disciples. So we just ask that you would help us to be salt and light in each of these arenas Jay's talked to us about today. Help us not to be afraid because the Christians aren't aren't the fear people either. We're the people who are courageous because we know we've got the God of this universe with us and behind us. Just help us to walk in the light, I pray in your name. Amen. Grace and peace to you. We'll see you next week.